Hi everyone, Sam Stern from LinkedIn. Welcome to 2024. This is the first podcast episode of the year for me, and I'm excited to share it with you. Speaking with Rick Denton, a CX consultant, a CX podcaster himself with a podcast called CX Passport, which is fantastic. Having listened to a few of of his recent episodes and recording one with him, it'll be out soon. Today, Rick and I talk about the process renaissance happening in customer experience, why it's happening, the lack of progress in customer experience results, how it's happening, balancing an outside-in view with operational rigor, and some signs of success you can track for your own process renaissance. I love the perspective and detail that Rick shared in our conversation, and so let's get to that now. Welcome back to the CX Patterns Podcast. This is Sam Stern from LinkedIn, and really excited to be joined this week by Rick Denton, who is, I call him this, he's a man of action, and as you will (laughs) soon hear, he's a man of process, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Rick and I met more than 10 years ago when I was working at Forrester, and Rick was my client. And we were recently reunited on LinkedIn, where I now work. So both a small world story and a full circle story. Rick, welcome to the CX Patterns Podcast. Great to see you again. We're looking at each other, listeners on video here on Zoom. I I am stoked about this. I, I, I this the the fact that we had that lull and yeah. found a reason to reconnect is a brilliant backstory. And I'm really glad that backstory has brought us to this front story of getting the chance to talk on your wonderful podcast today. I'm truly excited. Great. Thank you. Thank you for joining me. And Rick and I recorded an episode for his podcast too, which you will see linked in the show notes, not just my episode. That would be way too egotistical, but the entire thing, which is wonderful. Rick, you've had quite a customer experience journey, pun intended, in the last decade, starting your own company, becoming a podcaster, helping countless companies improve their customer experience, sharpening your thinking about what this discipline needs, which is what I'm excited to talk to you about today. You share a lot of wisdom out in the world in your CX Patterns podcast. And and listeners, I referenced it already, but I'll say I've got a healthy ego about my ability to speak into a microphone, but I was blown away by Rick's <laughs> skills behind the mic. He is next level. So I was honored to be on his podcast and honored to have you here and distill some of your wisdom about customer experience for this audience. I want to start with something you said to me as we were talking before we got on the mics here, which was that there's a process renaissance happening now. And listeners, stay with us. We'll make this interesting. I promise. So don't be scared of the word process. But a return (laughs) to concepts like Lean Six Sigma that swept through corporations decades ago. Right. And so why is that sort of old thing the hot new thing again? Why is it coming back around now? I want to start with something cheeky. It's the same reason that my kids are really interested in 90s and 80s fashion right now. And so it just everything kind of cycles around. There's more to it than that. Before I answer, though, you just warm my heart. Thank you for that about the microphone. Trust me, I, I am standing on the shoulders of giants and have learned from a lot of folks before me. And, and I'm thankful for this CX community in general and the podcast community in a wider sense of how collaborative it is and how delightful it is to work with folks just like I'm getting to work with you. Uh, today. It is it is absolutely fantastic. I've tried to, I think you and I just came up organically with this process renaissance when we were talking about, and in the style of trying to do a benefer or something along those lines, prosenaissance, but it just sounds so <laughs> awful when we come to there. I, the main reason I think why we're seeing a return to that, and there's probably more than one main reason, is because CX hasn't been working the way that we in the CX community think 
that it should be working. If billions of dollars and tons of resources and podcasts like the, the, the ones that we're on here and all of the learning that's out there, you would think that every experience we have as customers with every brand would be spectacular. In the reality, it's not. And that's our customer view of a company. On the inside of it, there are a lot of leaders that are saying, I just poured a lot of money after that customer experience process. I put a lot of, of, of thought into this. I've hired people. I've built programs. And my sales are going down and my costs are going up. What is the point? Why, why am I doing this? And I think that we in the customer experience community may have over-indexed away from process because it was viewed as being inside out. The brilliant book behind me, Carrie Boney, right, the outside in, the uh, Bible that I keep for, from a customer experience perspective on my shelf. Very true. We do need to have that outside in perspective. I completely still agree with that. I think what we've lost, though, is by focusing so heavily on outside in, we forget that we have to combine that with the inside out of process and execution to be able to deliver those customer, those experiences for customers on a consistently good basis. Mm. Yeah, I like that a lot because I do. I think you were right. I was in rooms like that, probably guilty of talking about it myself, where we've been too myopic about our process. You right. all are just re perf perfecting these processes without any sense of how it will resonate or not or fit the customer's needs or not throw all that out but to your <laughs> point we still need structure we still need something that helps us scale these things across locations across uh, time across different employees and that's what process is very good at so thinking about this bringing it back in right not losing that orientation of outside in but also having uh rigor having operational efficiency that process good process can give you how do you advise your clients or how do you talk about this and, and get them thinking about this where it's not an either or, it's, it can be both and helping them think two thoughts at once, right? We're inside out right. in terms of our process, but we're still outside it in term, terms of our orientation to the customer. Yeah, sometimes it's in pithy phrases, right, that could help uh, a client understand it at the headline and then you go deeper. And if you do outside in without inside out, then you can delight one customer and piss off 99 uh, because you've really focused on that one, but you have no discipline associated with solving for the other 99. If you do inside out without the inside in, then you've pissed off all 100. You've just done it really efficiently. And so neither extreme is the right choice. And the fact that we've gone from one extreme to the other is not surprising. It's human nature. We get excited about something and then we run over to that something and realize we've left something behind us. And so going deeper, though, with the company, it is very clear that we are not going to abandon what the customer tells us is broken. We are not going to abandon what the customer tells us is needed. What we're going to do is take that information and then combine it with, layer it with, bring it together with a disciplined approach to process and execution. I, I think elements like Lean Six Sigma and the like they're an example of, I believe, over-indexing on the process side, that getting too caught up in the methodology and something like that allows you to forget what gut feel and things that actually you're like, yeah. no, I don't really need to derive it to the you know, fifth decimal point. I know it's broken. And so that same thing is uh, blend, not blending, but actually understanding that the extremes is not where to live in this process versus customer debate, but it's in the middle bringing those two together in a way that you can create reliably good. Notice I didn't say delightful. I didn't say great. I just said reliably good experiences for every customer every time. Yeah, yeah. And that would be, as you started out saying, where we still don't have 
many good customer experiences in our lives as customers, that would be an improvement, reliably good. So uh, it's <laughs> it sad know, that that's the baseline we get. Except, yeah, hey. it sounds like you're lowering expectations, but yeah. you're actually saying, let's get to here first. Can you believe that brand did what they said they were going to do? Wow. I'm going to give them all of my wallet share. That's right. That's right. It reminds me, I used to joke that Southwest Airlines could only start advertising two free bags once all the other airlines took away free bags. <laughs> it's like sometimes when others are degrading the experience, your what used to be the typical experience becomes something that you can uh, promote and, and use as a differentiator. And it is a perfect example that you bring up that affect like me personally. I live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area where there are two airlines headquartered here, two significantly well-known airlines, Southwest being one of them. And I have the option to fly my son to and from Phoenix, Arizona on both airlines, same pricing, same schedule, same all that. It's things like you just described that push me over to Southwest because right. what used to be basic in the 80s is no longer. But because of that, I'm like, oh, Southwest is awesome. No, they're actually basic, but they're at least <laughs> awesomely basic. And it, right. it allows us to choose that and spend our wallet with that brand. Yeah, no, that's a great example. I really like your example of the outside in without the process focus to go back to that for a minute, right? That you can delight one customer, but then what about the other 99? And so how do you take a an insight or an orientation that comes from outside in, that comes from really trying to understand customer pain points and start to scale it via process, via other means, so that... And as, as you said, it's not 100 getting delighted or great experiences, but it's 100 customers now getting a good experience or an experience that matches the expectations you set for them. What does that process look like to go from outside in into rigor and how you deliver the experience? A, a good portion of that is obviously first listening to the customer. And OK, that sounds cliche. Great, Rick. Thanks. You told us to listen to the customer. That's nifty. <laughs> There's a key element to this, though, and that is a lot of times we want to do the Herculean. We want to do what is special for the customer. Those of us that have that heart for the customer, anybody that's come up with any, whether it was frontline for me, I worked in retail and in grocery and others and my starting up. So that sort of you're on the front line there. If you're on the phones with customers, you want to do right by the customer. To do this right in a disciplined way, though, requires taking the bulk of the customer input and listening across a suite of listening posts. And by the way, I'm not talking about surveys here. I'm talking about how the customer responds to me in social media, how the customer is interacting with your customer uh, contact center, how the customer is shopping and buying and what they're doing. There's a whole bevy. It's a, another topic we go down another time, a bevy of customer listening posts. Listen across those and then analyze what you're hearing. That's the kind of the important part is what are the recurring themes? Mm. It can be so tempting to go solve what is the most painful or what is the most loud that may not be the most effective to driving towards tangible business results. Now, this is not a statement that we shouldn't restore the relationship of an individual customer who has been wronged by our brand. That's a different statement from the process part. Yep. That's that external close loop feedback. But from an internal perspective, analyze it, understand the key themes. And then this is going to sound so basic, I know, but it's then prioritize those themes. Prioritize them around what matters to your brand promise. What is going to deliver the greatest tangible business uh, results, be they profit, be they cost, whatever you're looking towards solving, and then tackle those in a disciplined project management-esque sort of way. Now, each company is going to have a different flavor on everything I just said. How do you listen? How do you analyze? How do you discern what's the high priority versus, versus something else? And how do you execute? But that thoughtfulness around making sure that you execute on what is most important. Yeah based off yeah. of what your customer has told you. 
I think that's great. Anchoring all of that back end in terms of process all the way through to execution to the listening part on the front end, I think is sadly not in, in evidence in too many situations where people right. are willing to take it all the way through like that. And you're talking about steps that I've heard everyone describe that they do or that they should do. But I haven't seen that kind of rigor. And I think so I guess maybe ask you this question, because I do think it is sometimes hard to resist the urge to jump into action when a customer mm-hmm. is having a, had a really bad experience. And I know you didn't say that, right? You said, look, we need to repair that relationship or address that. But how do you do that and yet not have it become something that is A, pulling you after each little fire as it, as it flares, and B, being something where you can say, that is, we feel bad about that customer, but we also know that far more customers are impacted by this other thing that maybe seems more mundane than that one customer's problem, but is affecting all of our customers. How do you hold space for that, that prioritization and focusing on the, the more systemic issues, even when empathy and listening to customers almost draws us, pulls at our heartstrings yeah. towards that individual. Yeah, a lot of it is likely more that I can describe in our, our short time here together. What I would yeah. say, though, at a headline is that's where you're talking. Let's, let's, let me limit the answer. I realize that you didn't ask this limited here, but let's just use this as an example sure. to a contact center. Yep. That's a customer has contacted in via whatever channel, because, right, you've developed your company that has created channels that allow your customer to respond to you in any way the customer wants. OK, so we're assuming that. So in any channel okay. that you have created such a generic word, but empowered the agent to be able to restore the relationship with the customer and you trust the agent to do the right thing. And I don't mean necessarily do the right thing, like with every problem that a customer has, then it's a full refund or with every customer right. you, you give them something. But instead that you've equipped your agents with the understanding of the business, the values of the business, the understanding of the brand promise. You've given them the tools to understand the situation, what the potential solutions are, and you've let them do it so that it's not this, I need to check with a team. We need to go back to this. Oh, that's the surprise and delight team, whatever that looks like. It's actually embedded inside that individual customer interaction so that relationship restoration can take place there. I know I'm describing a nirvana. There are people listening right now going, yeah, nice, Rick. But what about my company where I'm getting 400 complaints an hour? We'd go bankrupt in 37 minutes. Okay, I get it. There's nuance to that. But that nuance is primarily wrapped up in equipping and empowering your agents to restore that relationship in a way so that the, quote, company can dedicate its resources to improving the processes, improving the experience on a permanent basis so that those complaints start to go down dramatically. That's beautiful. I really love that example. I think that you've just described a two-track process that you are with the humanness of those agents. And if you get it right, as you said, I know this, and you said, and I'll agree with you, it is a big if. You have to get it right that you've empowered them and that you have empowered them and trained them and equipped them enough that you can trust them to do what's right. And as you said, it's not the full refund every time, it's discernment of the value of this customer or this, what the situation merits in terms of restoring that relationship. But that human response in that channel that's all about service recovery in many of their interactions is the right way to handle those one-offs because it needs a human touch. Not pulling your prioritization and your process away from being more sober and rigorous and looking at the numbers and also not pulling the numbers and the rigor into the human response channel either. Right. right? Like you don't want to say, I'm sorry, we have 10,000 other customers impacted by this little thing. It's like, they don't oh, yeah. care. They don't care no, about that. So, I don't care about them. Yeah, I care yeah. about me 100. So I, I really like that because I think you're meeting both situations 
with the response that is appropriate. So that makes a lot of sense to me. If I can just switch gears here a little bit, as we think about the the process renaissance and bringing this inside-out approach back to customer experience to complement and pair with the outside-in perspective, are there any skills, are there any methodologies, are there anything that CX teams should be thinking about if they're listening to this that they should be trying to take on so that they can embrace this process renaissance? I think there's a there's a skill set around logic and being able to say that step A begets step B begets step C and understanding decision points that affect those the logic elements there. I, I think along with logic, I don't want to use something as as open as analytics, but just a, a, a critical curiosity to being willing to say, wait, why didn't that work? And willing to embrace, these are some of the classic tools, like the five whys and Chicago. Yep. There, there, are, there are tools that are out there that are, it would be better for someone to Google than to try to listen to me rattle off those on how to solve process dilemmas. But it's that curiosity around why did this break? Why are we unable to do this? Why in every airport boarding situation does the calling of group one manifest in every single group showing up and crowding the gate together. How can we solve for that dilemma? I got a lot of travel on the brain. We're recording this on December 21st and there's a lot of folks traveling. And and that sense of curiosity, that sense of logic, and that sense of a skill that I, I had, I'm just not saying it there because I want to tie back to something I'd said earlier, a spirit of willingness to collaborate and recognize that I may not know the solution, but someone else might. And we talked about the front line being great at restoring relationships. The front line is also awesome at telling you, the customer experience person or the process person, that your idea is full of crap and will never work in the front line. And so if you aren't collaborating with roles that are outside of your office building, that are outside of the the conference room and actually engaging with the people that might be the ones delivering your solution, then you're missing out on something. So that logic, that curiosity, that, that willingness to look for the solution in places that you might not otherwise look. Yeah, no, that's great. And I, what I'm hearing as a through-running theme in, the, in that too, so you've said logic and curiosity. I'll add this one because I think what you're, the way you're talking about it pairs with the curiosity is the humility to say, yeah, this, there's something I'm missing here that I don't know. I need to go bounce it off of these frontline people to, as you were just describing. I need to figure out, I have that orientation to what about my idea won't, is going to undermine it or make it so it won't work. So I can make it better, but you need to assume there will be something that someone else can point out to you that, was, that you were missing or that was right. uh, poorly conceived. And I, I like, I'm, I'm glad you brought humility. that in. Yeah, yeah, it really does. And humility is one of those dangerous ones, right? That people are like, oh, I'm the most humble person there is out there. Okay, <laughs> you then you just, you just <laughs> broke that, right? And so it's hard to, it's hard to actually know that you have humility. It's that willingness to, to recognize that others may have that solution, that I don't know everything. And that willingness to say, I, I have to learn from another source. Yes. No, that's great. And listeners, if you're worried, if you're not uh, humble enough, that is actually the first sign that you do have at least some humility. If you're worried you're not <laughs> humble or you don't have enough humility, people who have no humility never worry about that as uh, right. a strange. So at least that's a good sign that you're on the right track a little bit. I like that. Um, so if we think about the embrace of the process renaissance, what do you think that does? You alluded to it a little bit before, good, consistently good experiences. But what are some of the indications that this would be taking root? And I don't know if there's a company that stands out to you that you think is doing this quite well as an observer from the outside 
or one of your clients that you've worked about, you don't have to mention any names, but what does this start to look like in the experience when a company is starting to nail this this approach? I'm going to say a little bit snarky to start off with, and then we'll go into some other things, <laughs> that your CFO is on board, right? That, that automatically, yeah. if your CFO is your biggest champion in the project, then you probably are going in the right space of your process. Nope, it still can't land no matter how many times <laughs> I say it, but that process renaissance. And and what I mean by that is that those that wouldn't be inclined, and we're being very stereotypical, there are very human-oriented CFOs out there. I'm clearly playing on cliches here. Those, though, that would have as their job a focus that is away from the pure customer, right? That is not just do I care about the sentiment, but do I care about the cold, hard facts? Are they on board with what you're doing? Is the COO on board with what you're doing? Are you having to convince them through tortured explanations around it? Or are they like, yes, I get it. Those would be some of the early indications that you're doing it. I think the other part of it is if you're discovering, if you're continuing to discover breaks, you may be expecting me to say that means you haven't developed your process. Actually, I think that's when you have developed Mm. that sense of process, that if you are have, if you've created a mechanism by which you can continuously discover what isn't working and then be able to repair it and then yes. you know, never break it again, if it's if I'm never sore at the gym, <laughs> then I, I may not have pushed myself hard enough. Now, you shouldn't push to injury. Same kind of thing in a process right. thing. You're not looking to destroy the company. But if you aren't getting yourself to a point that you've discovered some of the breaks, maybe you aren't as process oriented enough. So using that as a sort of reverse or at least an unconventional indicator that you're doing the right thing from a process perspective. Other basic mentions are your customer complaints going down or even inbound Mm. contacts going down. Those are other categories. I was just trying to think of things that wouldn't be your traditional way of saying, yeah, I've got this process mindset down. Made me think of the famous Amy Edmondson study about psychological safety and its evidence and that she had studied a hospital and found that the teams reporting more errors had greater psychological safety because it was okay to raise those issues. It just, it struck me the parallels to what you were saying about if you're getting process rigor down, you're going to actually find and fix more breaks. It's not fewer breaks at the start. You're going to find more of the issues and surface them means your process is working because those things are being identified. So let's say that Rick Denton has influenced the world and the process renaissance is complete We are now living in this golden age of process married to an outside-in perspective. We all have consistently good experiences in our lives as customers. What's next? What comes next for customer experience beyond that? I find your question incredibly challenging because I'm not convinced that you ever can get there. I'm bringing a a quote to mind from Tyler Sachse. He's the director of customer experience. Or I'm sorry, Tyler, I forgot to try to run. leads customer experience at Foot Locker. And he had a brilliant quote on CX Passport where he said, if you think that you have learned everything you need to know about voice the customer, you're wrong. And it is, you can't ever stop learning about customers. You can't ever stop learning about processes that affect customers because we are human. Until we finally allow AI, or not allow, unless we finally <laughs> find ourselves with AI taking over both sides of the equation, both the purchaser and the, the supplier, and we just sit uh, Wally style fat and happy in the corner staring at our TV boxes, humans are going to continue to evolve and we are going to change things on the brand and we're going to expect different things from the brand. And so I, I almost would take your question and say, 
if you think you've arrived, then you haven't, then yeah. you've failed. I, and I know the spirit behind it. Hey, but what else could we be doing? Yeah. And I think there's a lot else that you could be doing. I just don't want to walk away from that with any sense that I think you ever could finish making things you know, perfect for a customer because we're human and humans are inherently yeah. flawed. And yeah, we're going to continue to evolve and break things and need those things to be fixed. No, I love that. And see, listeners, I promise Rick is good at this. He took a question posed a better question and gave a great answer to that better question. So I appreciate it. I don't think that, it was a Greg. so question, sir. <laughs> no, it was, I, you said, because you said the, the, the real problem here is that you really shouldn't be done. There's not a, okay, we've arrived at peak process. It's no, you keep refining this because as, and I love this, I think, and I think there's so much truth to it. Humans are forever changing. Human behavior, understanding it is right. a forever thing that you're going to be working at which is good. It will always turn up new surprises, new opportunities to sharpen your experience, to improve what you're doing, to serve new needs that customers mm -hmm. present to you. So it's the challenge of a lifetime, which is a beautiful thing. So I think you're right. Stay on that challenge. Don't right. try to be done with it. Move on to the next challenge. Yeah. It, yeah. Definitely don't think, especially that, like this, the, the mindset. Maybe you will, at, at some point, maybe you will have squished every possible efficiency out of a particular area. Okay. Well, then go look at another area, right? Yes. I, I know that can happen. But there's a reason why psychologists are never going to go out of business. There's a reason why sociologists are always going to have a place and therapists will always have a place. We yes. as humans will continue to evolve and change. And I think a company and a brand as they try to deliver a promise for their customers need to recognize that evolution in their customers. Uh, I think that's a beautiful note to end on. Rick, thank you so much for joining me on the CX Patterns podcast. It was great to hear from you about the process renaissance, why it's needed, what it looks like. And why we'll never be done with it, and which is exciting. So thank you for, for joining us, listeners. I've included a bunch of links. I actually was just listening recently to that episode with Tyler from Foot Locker of your podcast. It was a great episode. So I've linked to that one. I've linked to the podcast overall and where you can find Rick on LinkedIn and on other places online. Thank you for joining us, Rick. We appreciate it. Sam, I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Rick talked us through the need for the process renaissance in customer experience, the benefits it will provide, the signs that it's taking hold, and why it becomes something you focus on forever, not an initiative that you complete and move on from. I thought that was great pushback he gave in answering my question about what comes after process renaissance. You don't finish it, just as you don't finish customer experience. There's always new elements or facets to tackle, and Rick was right to call that out. So what am I taking away from this conversation? That rigor process is something to consider from the start of your CX transformations and of your customer experience projects. As you listen to customers, as you try to create new experiences or fix broken experiences, think about how you can do that in a way that will be possible to deliver at scale, possible to deliver in an operationally efficient way, possible to deliver time and time again. Those answers might get you an experience that's a seven instead of a nine, but a seven every time is better than a one-off nine. That's it for this episode of the CX Patterns Podcast. I'll be back in two weeks with another full-length episode, and we'll share a mini-episode next week in between. I hope your 2024 is off to a flying start. Thanks for listening, and thanks for sharing the podcast with someone else who you think should be listening too. And while I'm thanking people, thanks to Emily Tolmer, my colleague for the logo, 
and my friends, Moon Island, for the music. Talk to you soon.